You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1272 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening, June 29th. And today's show is brought to you by Arcade One Up, because Locked On Hawks is partnering with Arcade One Up to give away three NBA Jam Shack machines. That's right, three of those machines. There's the guys that are actually known for making incredible retro three-quarter scale at-home arcade games like Pac-Man, Golden Tee, and many more. Enter to win at arcadeoneup.com slash locked on. Arcadeoneup.com slash locked on. Today's show is, of course, going to be the emergency podcast for the Hawks going out and getting their guy into Jonte Murray. Plenty to get to in terms of the dynamics in play, how good he is, what the price tag was, what's coming next. But broadly speaking, a big bombshell, let's just say, for this Hawks team. Uh, clearly, in the, in the last couple of days, there's been a lot of rumblings about this. Um, first with John Collins pairings, the first with them sort of morphing into Gallinari plus pick rumblings. And then there was a report tonight earlier in this evening on Wednesday from Mark Stein that it was uh, imminent and either some that he basically Murray was going to go somewhere. And in the end, it was the Hawks who had been tied to him the most throughout the entire process. All kinds of reporting from Jake Fisher and Mark Stein and Zach Klein and all kinds of people across the uh, landscape of the NBA. But basically the back and forth has been happening. And at one point, uh, seemed like kind of unlikely to me. Uh, we, something I heard earlier today and then it kind of switched back. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of a crazy day overall for the Hawks. And really... The Hawks did pay a substantial price, and we'll touch on that in a second. But really, the headliners, they actually got their guy in DeJounte Murray. They believe that he checks the two major boxes they've been coveting for a while that I've been talking about on this podcast for quite some time. And that is the Hawks have been looking for a number two creator on the perimeter. Murray is obviously that as a guy who averaged you know, 20 plus points per game this year as a Western Conference all-star. Um, and also a guy who can play next to Trey, who can also guard next to Trey. And I've been saying this for a long time. It's very hard to find that number two creator that is also a solid or better defensive player. And Murray is that. Is the fit absolutely perfect on both ends of the floor? No, it's not. But I do like the fit. I think he makes sense. And honestly, is the one of the, one of the better versions of that of the guy that could be available realistically for the Hawks in the non like untouchable superstar division. Murray was one of the players that certainly makes the most sense for what the Hawks are looking for all in one package. We'll come back to the analysis on the value going back to San Antonio because it is a lot. But the package is, by the way, to the Spurs, Danilo Gallinari, who the Hawks had to guarantee enough money to actually make this trade. Uh, that is somewhere in the 10 and a half to $11 million range. I don't have the specific number, but people don't necessarily care about that. They had to raise his money a little bit. So Gallo gets paid on the way out, probably gets waived by the Spurs and then signed somewhere else. And by the way, just as a, as a quick aside here, I enjoyed my time covering Gallo quite a bit. We'll probably have a full send off on him at some point, but certainly a, a guy that I enjoy still a still a valuable piece in some ways. He becomes sort of a throw in for filler in this trade, but uh, Gallo was a valuable guy for the Hawks last couple seasons. And this is kind of just part of the process here. But in addition to Gallinari heading to San Antonio, the Hawks are trading three first round picks and a pick swap to the Spurs. The picks are the 2023 pick from Charlotte, which is the which was, of course, famously the return for Cam Reddish. That's a protected pick from the Hornets. So the Hawks keep their 2023 pick, their own pick for next season. But then the Hawks are sending their 2025 and 2027 first round picks to the Spurs, as well as a 2026 pick swap with the Spurs. Basically, what that means is that the Spurs can choose if the Hawks were to have a higher pick than the Spurs do. 
take that pick from the Hawks and give them their own back. So the Hawks will have a pick in 2026 no matter what, but it, may, it might be the worst one if something goes terribly wrong for Atlanta. So all that said, the headliner on the value side is the fact that these picks are unprotected, which was definitely a surprise to me and others. That was sort of a, maybe the urgency talking from the Hawks to just go ahead and throw the entire sink at this one um, for Atlanta. But we'll come back to that in a second. For one thing, though, Murray is obviously the reason why the Hawks are doing this deal is the fit on the floor and the potential of that and how much uh, sort of he unlocks on paper. So we'll go through that now as sort of uh, the guy that he actually is. I've talked about him a little bit in the last few days, but more of an overarching thing here. And by the way, I'm, I'm planning to have some guys on, for, at least one person on, to talk about Murray from San Antonio who's covered him up, up close. I've seen him play quite a bit, obviously, as someone who covers the entire league, but I'm not a Spurs expert, so I'm sure we'll have some more information on Murray. But honestly, he is one of the most interesting and best acquisitions for this franchise in a long time. You know, For instance, a guy like Dwight Howard was more famous, obviously was a better player in his prime than Murray, but when the Hawks acquired Howard, at least some of us, including myself, uh, kind of knew that wasn't going to go all that well, and he was not the same player. Uh, Murray, in his present form, is, you could argue, the best acquisition they've had for in, in decades for this franchise. You know, guys like Paul Millsap, they, they got Paul Millsap for cheap on a two-year deal when they actually signed him as a free agent. He was not the same guy he became later on as an all-star for the Hawks, et cetera. So um, you could say this is, this is one of their bigger all-in moves in a long time, also one of the better players they've acquired for quite some time as well. He's a 25-year-old guard. He's been in the NBA for six seasons. He was a first-round pick, but actually a late first-round pick that developed very well in San Antonio. He did miss the entire 2018-19 season with an ACL tear, um, but he's come back in, in full after that, of course. A couple of solid seasons after that as a starting caliber guard with the Spurs before this last year, but his real breakout happened in 21-22 when he averaged 21 points, about nine assists, and eight rebounds a game. A near triple-double average is pretty impressive. Obviously, had a lot of usage um, along the way there. Kind of a weird situation where the Spurs kind of let him do whatever he wanted wanted to to a two to two to like a 27 ish percent um usage rate but he had, he had a career high assist rate this year managed to keep his turnovers down was at least reasonably efficient not the most efficient efficient score in the world but certainly had his best season by a lot and the counting stats are what they are they're very impressive from last year also led the league in steals this last season at 2.0 per game he is a quality defensive player overall uh, i will say most people that observed him closely think he took at least a small step back last year uh, in part, and something I say a lot, it's very hard to still be as good defensively as you were when you were not the number one option when you become the number one option on offense. But at minimum, he's a playmaker defensively, leading the league in, in steals kind of tells you that. But he should be able to play at a high level with a lesser offensive burden. Uh, clearly, no matter what happens, he's going to have a lower usage rate unless Trey gets hurt in Atlanta than he did in San Antonio. So his defense should be able to play up, play up a little bit more. He's not the biggest guy in the world, listed at 6'4 and 180. So he's like a big point guard, but kind of a small shooting guard in some respects, but certainly some decent size and length and athleticism and very, very good activity-wise. Could pose some drawbacks defensively, just how small they can be against certain matchups. But Murray is a good defender at minimum and, could, and defend the best guy on the other team at, at, at the guard spot, which is something that sort of takes a lot of heat off of Trey Young. Um, offensively, the biggest question, in addition to, I will say, is he's a really good offensive player, full stop. The rebounds are what they are. He's a great rebounder as a guard, good passer, good scorer on the whole. But the, the one risk you would say is that he's not a great shooter off the ball on offense. 33% from three uh, for his career, 32.7% last season. He's a good free throw shooter, like a high 80s, sorry, high 70s free throw shooter with a decent stroke overall. But it'll be interesting to see how he sort of works 
operating off the ball a little bit more. Um, the trade-off, though, is that maybe Trey also works off the ball a little bit more. There's been a whole debate about that, and we're not, and we're not going to do now. But at minimum, Trey is an excellent catch-and-shoot guy when he's actually willing and able to move off the ball and do that. The numbers speak for themselves there. He's been an awesome shooter. He is an awesome shooter. So if he, maybe he trusts Murray more than he's ever trusted anybody else for obvious reasons, and that pushes him off the ball a little bit more. But I will say there's a little bit of hes- hesitancy in Murray as a off-ball player. He's not done a lot of that. We'll see if he can actually do it. I'm not saying he can't. It's just one of the questions involved with this deal. But I think he also gives the Hawks unquestionably that number two ball handler and creator they've been looking for for quite some time, both when Trey is on the ball and on the floor, and also when Trey is off the floor, Murray can slide to the one, be their primary initiator, and have a guy that can sort of carry usage in the way they have not had a guy do that for quite some time. Also, it seems like Trey was very much on board with this by all the reporting that was out there, either behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, talking about how much he wanted Murray. That was reported. He sort of sent one of those celebratory tweets out after the deal was consummated. So um, is it an absolutely perfect fit? No, but I do like fit. Honestly, there's people that uh, that I trust in the industry that are a little bit a little bit lower on this than I am in terms of a basketball standpoint. But I really do like Murray. I think Murray's a good fit with Trey. He does check those boxes I talked about before as a guy who can defend in the backcourt and give them a number, a number two option. Um, ideally, he'd be a little bit better of a shooter on offense and be a little bit more established as an off-ball player. But you can't get too picky with that. Like you can't just construct a player out of granite as the as, as to the player that you actually want, especially for a guy who was actually available in trade and they paid a lot of price for him. But he was he was still available on some level. And then, of course, defensively, you would like you know pray that he was a little bit bigger. But listen, he checks a ton of boxes. Murray's really good, and there's a lot of reason to be excited. You know, I'm going to talk about in the second segment um, so, some of the drawbacks here on the price tag, but I want to be very clear. This is a very exciting move for the Hawks on the floor, and fans should be excited about the potential of this backcourt. Um, honestly, this is the best the roster has been in the entire Travis Schlank, Trey Young era. Now, they can make changes in the future. There might be trades coming still, but if you think about it this way, the Hawks are basically bringing back at this very moment, their roster has all of their best players from last season on it, that same core that made the conference finals. And then you just swapped Gallinari for a top 35, 40 player in the league into DeJounte Murray. And that's what you've done so far. Um, in short, that makes you a lot better. DeJounte Murray is really good. So like roster wise, I'm not saying they're gonna be a title favorite right now because they're not on paper, but they were really good on paper in my mind. They were good last year on paper. It didn't necessarily work out all the way through, but this checks a ton of boxes. Again, I know I keep saying that, but it's worth repeating. He just fills a lot of gaps. He's a really good player overall. So we'll come back to it in terms of the analysis on the value. But there are people that don't like love the fit. I do like it. I really do like this fit. And I'm not someone, if you're a new listener, just finding the show for the first time, first of all, welcome. And please subscribe to the podcast. But if you don't know me as, a, as an analyst or as a host or a reporter or whatever, um, I'm not someone who's going to say something that's super nice when I don't believe it. I believe this is a good fit. I believe Murray's a really good player. He makes a lot of sense. And honestly, if you ask me to pick a player who was like semi-reasonably available coming into the offseason to fit with Trey in the backcourt, I think Murray would have been on a short list of best possible options. He's not like an absolute all-NBA guy in my mind, uh, but you know, given what, the, what was available to them, given that they only had to give up Gallinari in terms of present-day capital, there's a lot of things to like on this move. Okay, we'll get into the value stuff in a second, which is a little bit less rosy in my in my mind, as you might expect for uh, if you've been a long-time listener to the podcast. I will try to be nuanced and try to be level-headed on all of this stuff. But before we get to all of that and the value analysis, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. 
Today's show is brought to you by Saqqara and feeling your best starts with what you eat. Saqqara helps you live a healthy and balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Saqqara is a wellness company that's anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. And Saqqara gives you the tools that you need to transform your life with your organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. They have nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners. And they're made with powerful plant-rich ingredients to help you boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get, a, get your skin absolutely glowing. Plus, it's delivered to your door directly and ready to eat. Sakara's functional, plant-rich, wellness essentials help you create a body that you absolutely love to live in, and they have the best-selling metabolism superpower to the foundation. Their daily supplement packs. Sakara's products are designed to help you support your wellness goals anytime, anywhere. And right now, Sakara's offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Sakara, spelled S-A-K-A-R-A, dot com slash locked on 20, 20% off on your first order. One more time, that's Sakara.com slash locked on 20. Okay, and we'll dive in now to the value part of this transaction because not everything is absolute roses. And again, I want to just emphasize coming out of the break, I do like the move on the basketball floor. I think Dejah Tamari is very good. I want to say that now to sort of soften the blow here because the tricky part is, Hawks fans and a lot of NBA fans, not just Hawks fans, sometimes get mad at me because I have to express my view that Atlanta did overpay in this deal. And that's part of the deal. Honestly, if I'm being on, if I'm being clear, if they were ever going to pull this move off for DeJounte Murray in particular, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be a lot going back in draft capital. And I'll go step by step here to sort of outline what I mean, because in the end, it might be totally fine. And if you're a Hawks fan, that's an optimist. I totally understand you just thinking, look, it's three first round picks, but those guys will just be throw-ins. I totally get that. In fact, the median outcome of this deal is going to look fine for the Hawks. The average outcome is going to look pretty good because generally speaking, if this team is even pretty good, if they're a playoff team for this for the time when the picks are coming, you're sending picks in the in the late teens or 20s, and that's totally fine value for John T. Murray. But the downside, if things go very wrong, and listen, people don't like to think about that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily either, but that will make you queasy if you think about it for too long. So in terms of what the Hawks are saying in San Antonio, I'll go through it now. Uh, Gallinari is, of course, the filler salary explicitly, and especially with the Spurs sort of clearly pivoting to a rebuild, that was what they chose. In fact, there's a reason they preferred picks to John Collins is because Collins, even at like age 24 and into 25, is a little bit older than their curve is actually dictating right now. Um, the Spurs are basically signaling with a trade of a 25 year old, you know, fringe star, at least point guard, that they're looking to fully rebuild and really tear it down. And Collins is almost too good and too established for that. So they ended up, that's really what I'm, what I'm hearing is that they basically chose the pick route because they don't, they don't want to actually stay um, good. And obviously Collins wouldn't just like do that on his own, but he'd be a good player for them. Regardless, getting off of Gallinari for the Hawks is a, at least a small positive. He was only owed $5 million, but that, that's very useful money if the Hawks, uh, let's just say, have tax concerns, which we'll come back to later on in the podcast. But that's at least a small positive for the Hawks is just getting off of Gallo's money. It wasn't less like they had to have Collins in the deal and three picks. It's Gallinari who was more of a throw-in for filler and the picks beyond that. Um, then the 2023 pick from Charlotte is a good thing to include because there isn't much downside with that pick. Now, that was a good trade, I think, for the Hawks value-wise to get Cam, to get Cam Reddish off the roster from what – because he didn't want to be here, all that stuff. Uh, to get a first-round pick for him was a solid enough value for me. But that's a pick that does not have a lot of upside. That's a pick that is going to be a non-lottery pick. And uh, those are valuable still, but not a premium asset by any means. A potential trouble is the rest of the deal. The Hawks are sending out their own picks totally unprotected. Now, that's the big thing here is the totally unprotected part. Now – that was the surprising part for people that I talked to around the league that are not just like Hawks analysts. Like, you know, I saw Zach Lowe express some surprise. I saw John Hollinger express some surprise, Matt Moore, et cetera. People that I trust around the league that cover the league. 
are like, whoa, unprotected. And it's because generally speaking, those deals don't really happen, especially for guys who are, with all respect to Murray, he's not Kevin Durant. This is not a guy who you're, is a top 10 player in the league, established superstar. He's a good player. And I would say, obviously, an all-star this last year. But you don't often see in the current landscape three unprotected assets going out in the same deal in three straight seasons. Because they're also agreeing to swap picks with the Spurs with no protections in 2026. Now, I do understand, as I sort of alluded to a second ago, that the Hawks might just be sending picks in the 20s. And the fan reaction is that I've already seen people saying that to me and other places. Look, this is just three picks in the 20s. Who cares? Um, Those guys won't be stars anyway. Listen, that might happen. But there is some real surprise and real downside here because three straight unprotected assets can really be kind of, you know, organizational death if something really, really bad happens. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but let's say let's go to the extreme. I'm not projecting this, but let's say Trey Young wants a trade in two years. Let's say Trey Young suffers an injury in 2025 misses and misses most of the season and the Hawks miss the playoffs and then the Hawks win the lottery and have to send the pick to San Antonio. Those things are not likely to happen. Let's say Murray leaves in two years because he's, he's only signed for two for two seasons. Let's say he leaves and the Hawks kind of level off. This one doesn't necessarily work and they get a little bit unlucky in the lottery and they are giving up the ninth pick in the draft. Whatever else. I'm not saying any of that is going to happen. In fact, it probably isn't going to happen. But the obvious parallel people were throwing around was the Nets giving up way sort of you know half like a half decade of draft capital to the Celtics in a deal that just kind of killed them. Now, that this is not likely to happen because in part. The Hawks are younger. They have an established star in Trey Young who is on the upside, not the downside of his career in the way that the Nets did. But again, there's some downside risk. And this is a long time from now. 25, 26, 27. This also ensures that you basically can't rebuild. If Let's just say, for instance, if you organizationally maybe wanted to pivot, it wasn't working or Trey wanted out or whatever, uh, you can't really rebuild now. There's no there's no way to do that in that time, I mean, at, least, at least in terms of through the draft. So I don't know. I'm not saying that it's going to be a disaster, but there is a little bit of shock on my part that the Hawks did this particular construction. If only because like even top three protections, top one protections, like famously the Derek White trade with the Celtics featured a top one protected swap with the Spurs. Even if you get that, that's a little bit better. Um, but it's just a, it's a, it's, it's definitely a risk. Now, again, it's a, it's a measured risk on some, on some level, because if the Hawks are good in the late 2020s, it's not going to matter and they're going to be totally fine with it. And I'm acknowledging that up front. but in terms of just like the overall asset play, I think the consensus that I have seen and one that I agree with is that the Hawks probably did overpay a touch here in terms of value. Now, do people actually care about that? Probably not. And you know, the big question is basically, is it worth it for the upgrade they're getting to right now? Is Murray going to be the guy that unlocks them, makes them a contender, et cetera. Because for me to do this kind of trade, you have to think that you're going to be a, an actual contender in the near future. And they might be like this is this is one of the best backwards in the league immediately as long as they are at least from a talent standpoint. Um, it's it's just kind of my job to be a little bit measured and provide the nuance and lay it out a little bit in terms of the risk package here. And in a vacuum, I want to say in a vacuum, giving up three unprotected picks, basically, oh plus a swap. So uh, sorry, one pick that's protected, the Hornets pick, which is totally fine, but it's a real asset. Then two unprotected, two unprotected picks and an unprotected swap. It's probably an overpay, but. I do totally get it if people don't care about that. I don't blame you at all. Um, I'm wired to have to care about that. Um, but it's kind of similar, even though this is more impactful in terms of what you potentially could be giving up downside-wise to the Hunter trade, where I know there's a, there's even still now people that get mad at me for pointing out that it was an overpay for the Hawks, but it was. Uh, but the thing is, if Murray is good for the Hawks, especially if Murray is good and then signs long-term and the Hawks are a contending level team for a while, no one is going to care about that, which I definitely understand. So 
in a vacuum, did they overpay for him? I think probably, but maybe that's me just thinking that Murray's more of like a top 40 guy than an actual top 25 all-star, but that, listen, that's okay. Like he's a really good player. Uh, and there's a little bit of nuance involved here. It's just my job to point that out. Um, beyond that, in terms of like what's happening next, we'll sort of dive into that in a second, but the Hawks are getting a very, very good basketball player in DeJounte Murray. Now I'm going to try to line up somebody else again, talk, talk about him more, but he's, he's built as an all-star that's convenient. He was, he was injury replacement. I don't think that he is um, what you would traditionally think as an all-star in terms of his actual you know, status in the league. For me, that's like a top 25 player in the league. He's more of a top 40 ish guy, but still a top 40 guy is nothing to sneeze at something like that. It's that's a very good player, a very good asset moving forward. He signed for two years at a very cheap price for a star level player. That's really good too. Obviously in the future, you have to figure out what, you, what you're going to do beyond that for an extension, which you can't really sign. Honestly, he's extension eligible. But there's no way he's going to sign that uh, because he's sort of limited on that. So it seems likely to everyone that I have talked to that he'll hit, he'll hit for agency in two years. We'll see what that deal looks like, but that's a long way out. Um, he's also 25 years old. He's coming off his best season of his career. I think there's a little bit of risk that you're paying at the absolute top of his market. There's at least a chance that last year was the best year of his career. I'm not saying that's likely, but it's definitely possible given how good he was. Um, but listen, he signed for two years. The Hawks have a good chance to evaluate the fit with Trey, evaluate what they want to do moving forward. If it's a home run and it all works out, you give him the max and you move on from there and you kind of build with those two guys in the backcourt. Um, the price is a lot, but there's definitely some urgency on the Hawks side. I might even call it desperation, uh, maybe a little bit unkindly for the Hawks to make a big swing from top down. You know, there's been plenty out there about ownership kind of wanting the Hawks to just make a big swing on, on some level. I know that Schlank and Steve Kuhn have downplayed that in the public, but listen, they just made that big swing. So I think that was good intel um, coming down that the Hawks wanted to do something big in the offseason, and they've not, they've not done that. Are they done? I don't think necessarily they're done at this point in time. We'll get into all that in a second. Um, it remains to be seen what else, what else they do with the roster, but one more time, I want to just get this point across. I know the Hawks made the conference finals two seasons ago, but at the moment – this is the best roster they've had in the entire Schlenk Young era on paper. And games are not played on paper, and a lot, a lot of things can change. But uh, they have a really good roster now when you turn Gallo into, into Murray before you do anything else. That's a really strong starting point. So all that said, we'll have much more on Murray and the fit and the future and all of that. But I want to at least spend the first 20-plus minutes of the show on that deal, talk about it from every angle. We're going to come back in a second and talk more about the luxury tax stuff and the salary cap stuff and also some, some of the latest news and rumblings. But uh, there you go. Hawks acquire a very, very good basketball player at a uh, who's on a cheap contract as well. They paid a lot to do it, but listen, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, and that is the mantra of Travis Schlenk in a lot of different ways. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and the madness truly never ends in the NBA, as you've seen today with the Hawks stuff and with draft in the books for NC on, on the way, Summer League in July, and 23, 23 projections already flying around in the basketball world. There's a lot to get into, especially with the Hawks right now. But with that in mind, Bet Online is the place to fire away on all the stuff in the futures market, and Bet Online is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and your information, both in the near future and always. Find all the latest odds, news, and developments across the sports world. That includes major events, MLB odds and scores, latest fight stuff, and futures on basketball and NFL, college football, college basketball, etc. BetOnline is a continuous source for all the wagering avenues like live betting and esports, poker, casino games, and more. And the other sports covered as well. A wide range of sports, honestly. Not just basketball, baseball, and football, but hockey and golf, tennis, auto racing, rugby, lacrosse, table tennis, horse racing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and any sport that you possibly think of. Head to BetOnline right now today on your computer mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and we'll round it out with some uh, nuance and some of the future-facing stuff. 
And uh, on brand, I have to talk about the salary cap implications of the DeJounte Murray move. So I heard a rumbling over the weekend that the cap was going to be up a little bit higher than people thought. And then Jake Fisher reported on this today and then later did Tim Bonteps that it was going to be jumping a little bit. Not to go into crazy depth on this, but the cap cannot go up more than 10% from last year because of the COVID agreement that the two sides struck um, on the CBA. But it can't be less than 3% raise and 10% is the maximum. So the absolute most it can be is about $123.6 million in terms of the salary cap number for this next season. And that means the luxury tax number would be $150.2 million. Later, after all that, Bontemps reported, front of the show to Bontemps, that the that number is now the projection, the absolute max increase of 123.6. That is less than $2 million higher than the projection that was why we circulated about 122 that I've been operating under for a while. But the tax line also jumps about a million and a half dollars. That definitely helps the Hawks in some respects. Now, some of that, though, is offset by the fact that Trey Young, who is going to be starting a max contract, is actually going to be making more money than we all thought. Um, that is interesting in that because the max is tied to the cap, his number is going to jump from $36.6 million, which is which was the projection in year one, to $37.1 million. So congrats to Trey Young at about a half million dollar raise for next season based on the cap jumping a little bit. That gives the Hawks more breathing room under the tax, but it's less than a million dollars overall. So not a huge, huge change. And as I've been talking about for a while, the tax stuff is really relevant. And we'll come back to that in a second. But I did a full free agent kind of primer preview on Tuesday's show, which is certainly available still now and relevant at this point in time. A lot of those, a lot of those guys I talked about, though, would be needed um, sort of more than the minimum. So the Hawks need to, need to use the mid-level or at least part of the mid-level on those guys. And uh, that is important as well. Um, not huge news in terms of the overall uptick, but for a team that has a lot a lot of long-term money spent now between Murray and Capella and Collins and Herter and McDonavich and Young and maybe even Hunter in the future, maybe a Kongwu down the line, et cetera. Um, the rest of those moves, by the way, other than Trey's deal, which is being tied to the cap, an uptick in the salary cap makes the John Collins deal look better. It makes the Kevin Herter deal look better uh, because those guys are not making less of a percentage of the cap. It's not a huge difference, but it's something. At the moment, though, this is where it gets really interesting for the future. The Hawks have about 150 0.3 million dollars committed to only 10 players on their roster when you swap out Gallinari for DeJounte Murray. That is essentially right at the tax line right now with 10 guys on the team. And you have to have at least 14 guys on your roster. So at the moment, the Hawks cannot stay under the tax without making a trade because you have to fill out the roster. Um, there are a couple options here. One would be to roll with this roster, uh, fill it out, fill it out a little bit and actually go into the tax. That is possible. Um, I have heard for a while the Hawks don't necessarily want to go into the tax, but they might be willing to do it, especially now with Murray. That's a selling point for ownership, potentially to have a good team. Maybe you want to pay the, pay the tax this time around. The other option, though, would be to, if there's a mandate or a strong um, suggestion, let's just say, to stay under the tax, that basically, if you do the math, it kind of has to mean a trade involving one of, or maybe multiple of, but at least one of, Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, or Kevin Herter, which takes back less money or no money in return. Now, it's not always easy to find that out, but think about it this way. Trey Young, not going anywhere. Murray, not going anywhere. It seems like Hunter and Okongwu are not going to go anywhere. Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin don't make, don't make a lot of money. They don't, they don't, there's no reason to really move them for tax purposes. But the other four guys, Collins, Capella, Bogey, and Herter, are all on real money contracts. They all could be moved. And for me, the thing is, you know, with you bring in Murray, he's going to be your starting shooting guard on paper. Obviously, he'll play a little bit of point guard when Trey Young leaves the floor, et cetera. But you now have 
a lot of money committed to Herter and Bogdanovich, both of whom are primarily shooting guards at a position where you have DeJounte Murray on your team. So maybe the natural thing would be move one of those guys. I don't know if they want to. I've heard lots of interest on Kevin Herter, for instance. Bogey may be a little bit less easy to move at this point. But basically, as soon as the deal was done for Murray, Adrian Wojnarowski, who is the leading newsbreaker in the NBA, went on SportsCenter on ESPN and said that the Hawks are, quote, not done dealing yet, end quote, and that they've still been engaged on John Collins. And fundamentally, quote, there are going to be some more changes in Atlanta, end quote. So – I don't know if that means maybe it's Collins. There's a earlier. This is all this is all pre-trade reporting. But Wednesday, I know Jake Fisher and Matt Moore um, combined to throw out the Kings, Blazers, Celtics, Nets, and Bulls of teams that have at least called on Collins in the past. This seems to be not terribly recent intel on some of that stuff. But um, it's kind of weird because I know there's been overwhelming smoke on Collins deals for a while now. And the Hawks are obviously, at least they were trying to move him and maybe still are trying to move him, but they're not going to just take nothing for him. That's very clear at this point, or they would have traded him already. The other part, though, is that Collins really still helps them. He's the only guy on the roster that's a proven starting caliber power forward. Um, He's still a top, for me, like 55, 60 guy in the league. He's a really good player. I know he's making a lot of money, but that's an appropriate contract for him. Um, And the interesting thing, again, beyond the stuff on Collins, is like whether they want to move or maybe have some urgency to move either Herter or Bogey for playing time reasons. Obviously those guys can play the three, but if you're going to roll out there with, you know, young Murray and Herter, that's pretty small. Um, Bogey, same thing, especially defensively. So I don't know, interesting stuff. Obviously we can go sort of deeper on that when, the, when we have more Intel, but um, the Collins stuff's still out there. I think the more natural move for me, and obviously if you listen to the podcast for a while, you will know that I am not someone who is like eager to move John Collins. I think he's underrated at this point, but um, put that aside for a second it seems more natural and at least more urgent for me to make a move if you're going to make a move. And that's a big if. If you're going to make a move to either shed salary or do something different, it seems to me that Herder or Bogey would be more, more of a natural option. Personally, if there was one guy on the roster I'd be looking to move right now, it's probably Bogdanovich, which is not a guy that I, – I, I love Bogey. But bet- between the knee, between the position stuff, between the age, I think he's a, a little bit worse value on his, on his deal than Herder is, for instance, and Herder's younger. So anyway, we'll get into that later on, but that's uh, at least something to keep an eye on because the Hawks – do not seem to be done at this point in time. Uh, last couple of things before we get out of here. Uh, one is that there was a report from Mike Scotto, who was formerly at the Athletic, I believe, I believe with uh, Hoops Hype now, that the Hawks are not going to be tendering a qualifying offer to Kevin Knox. That was a no-brainer. People were asking me about that. That was uh, always going to be the case. They were never going to offer Knox. His qualifying offer as a former top 10 pick was a lot of money, That they were not going to ever do that. So he's unrestricted as a free agent. The other thing is Sharif Cooper um, got a qualifying offer, which was basically a no-brainer. Uh, in short, the Hawks only had to offer him another two-way deal to make him a restricted free agent, which was always going to happen. There was no way they were going to let Sharif just be unrestricted without offering that without offering that deal. The next step is going to be figuring out what he, what deal he's going to be on for next season. Either he can sign the qualifying offer and be on a two-way again, or uh, he could maybe be a guy that they come to deal with that's a long-term deal or a short-term minimum deal. Um, having young guys on the minimum is helpful for, for tax purposes as well because they, they make less money than guys that are on veteran minimums. The Hawks do have an open two-way spot um, that they will probably use on either Cooper or Tyrese Martin, if I had to guess. But Martin being the second-round pick, they could if they wanted to go super cheap at the end of the bench with those guys both on real on minimum contracts and then sign somebody else to a two-way. But anyway, the uh, there are options with Sharif, but I think he's going to be around in some capacity. That was more of a procedural move than anything else, and that was always going to be happening. So I don't really have much more to add on this podcast, but I do think that uh, generally speaking, uh, it's been a big day for the Hawks. This is one of, this is you know the biggest swing of the Travis Schlenk era. Before this, you could certainly say uh, you know 
in the in the, in the draft, the, the Luca Trey trade was a high profile move. Clearly, those guys both became superstars. Um, or you could say the Hunter trade up was a big swing. But giving you know trading three and a half picks basically for Dejounte Murray, a a guy who come up an All Star appearance, is a huge huge move. There is a lot of uh, interest in it nationally. And by the way, free agency starts less than 24 hours from now. Now, the Hawks are not going to be the most active free agent team. They don't have that many assets to go out and do that. But let's say they want to use the mid-level. Um, you know, If you're a Hawks fan, you should be rooting badly for Tony Ressler to, pay, to A, pay the tax, and B, to pay even more tax because that way you could spend the taxpayer mid-level on a guy who can really help your roster and kind of roll from here. That'd be a really good basketball team. But we'll see if they are able to do that, willing to do that, if they move Collins, if they move Herter, if they move Bogey, if they move a center, et cetera. It seems like there's a lot less smoke on the Capella stuff in the last couple of days and maybe even a week plus because you know apparently Trey is really high on Capella and uh, you know center spot's going to be loaded again if they bring back Capella and Kongu. That's one of the best rotations in the league, if nothing else, at center. So lots to be excited about. If you are a Hawks fan, we'll have more coverage on this. I have recorded a about a 45-minute interview about A.J. Griffin that I'm still not releasing because I'm trying to find time to actually release it. Maybe next week sometime before Summer League starts, we'll do that. That's a fun interview that's coming on him. I'm planning to talk to someone about Murray that's a, from, from the Spurs side of things and the deal and kind of what they think about that. All that's coming in the future. And then we'll have full coverage of Summer League. I'm going out to Las Vegas for all of that. Free agency, I'll have emergency podcasts, et cetera. So Please subscribe to the show. If you have questions, please fire them away um, to me at on Twitter at BT Roland or at the show at Locked on Hawks. It really does help me quite a bit if you subscribe across platforms, whether it be Spotify or Apple or Stitcher or also YouTube, where we're trying to grow that audience on the video side as well. I really sincerely appreciate all the support. People always asking me about the emergency podcast when the podcast is coming. It's awesome to have people kind of wanting that to be coming. So I really do thank you for all of that. Hopefully I answered a lot of those questions, but if we have more and we probably will have more, I'm sure on this deal and uh, the fit and all that stuff, we will touch on that in the near future. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you all next time.